Omnibus is a production of iHeartRadio. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is The Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1323.2C0617, certificate number 42052. Town Line, New York. Some of you may even be called upon to make the supreme sacrifice in defense of our ideals and our homes. But boys, I want you to remember this. You can always count on the folks at home. And when the war is won, you come marching back in triumph, you'll find the home folks right here waiting for you. Now, we've talked about secession before on the omnibus. We certainly have. I I keep feeling like we're going to secede, just you and I. From the United States or from podcasting? Just you and I. Uh, I feel like we're going to secede from the internet and start our own internet. <laughs> you know, we could do that. We, we can set up our, we both got laptops right here. We could un- unplug, we get off the Wi-Fi. We could just run like it. We could run a cable hmm. and we could have a little LAN and we could play uh, Fortnite. <laughs> but who, the problem is we want other people to be on our internet too. How do we get other people on it? Wait, you want to secede and you want other people to come with you? Yeah, just the good ones, right? That's when you secede, it's not just, I'm going to go live in the forest. It's like, come with me and take my hand. We'll live in a land where the rivers run free. So your problem with the internet is that it was never invitation only. Well, it was for a long time, I feel like. When I first was exposed to the internet, it felt very invitation only and I wasn't invited. But, uh, you know, that's the thing. Every new social media presents itself. Every new social media forum says, this one's going to be invitation only. <laughs> so we keep, the, we keep the Nazis out. I mean, a lot of my internet loyalty does come from the fact, I think, a saner person than me would not be on social media anymore. But I feel a lot of loyalty because I was kind of an early adopter to the internet. Right. And I feel like I discovered it when nobody else my freshman year at college had actually you know, looked, read the thing that explained what an electronic me- email, electronic mail address was and how the gopher server would work and how Usenet worked. I was the only one trying out all this stuff and I felt like Christopher Columbus. So you're like, Mr. Internet, I oh, can't get off this. There's people, yeah, so there's, there, there's people here and they're talking about the X-Files and like I, some part of my brain is still in 1992 just thrilled that somebody wants to talk about Deep Space Nine and I can hop aboard. The funny thing about that bias is that we assume that the thing that will supplant, because the thing that supplanted Friendster was Facebook, which was basically Friendster. Yes. And we, so we keep thinking that the kids are going to supplant Facebook with Friendbook or something that's for them, but is just basically the same thing. Is that not true? I don't think so. I think what the happened- The kids are leaving. They're, le- they're not on Facebook, but they're not- duplicating Facebook with a, with a cooler Facebook there into, I mean, that was the amazing thing about Snapchat was the whole premise of it was it left no paper trail. You went on there, you took your picture, your friends looked at it and it was gone, gone forever. And that was so antithetical to what we thought social media was about, which was. Well, of course we don't want to imagine our kids doing anything you might want to shred the evidence for. Well, right. But also (laughs) uh, we're all archivists because we grew up in a time when if somebody brought a photograph home, you were like a whole photograph. 
Plus, by nature, you and I are archivists. That's you know, true. we want shelves full of books. Yeah. The idea that something would evanesce kind of horrifies us. Oh, they're incredible to think that you would take a picture with the with the full intention that it only be looked at once and then be gone forever. Whew, it just makes me uncomfortable even talking about Imagine it. Imagine a Polaroid that you can shake it once and the picture appears, and then you shake it again, <laughs> and it goes away. And you it's, toss it, just like nature intended. It's like etch-a-sketch culture. <laughs> well, if we ever decide we want to secede politically, and not just on our own onto our own Minecraft server, I think I said Fortnite, and we're going to get notes. Yeah, Because, yeah, because yeah. I meant Minecraft. Minecraft is what you meant. Fortnite yeah. on a LAN. Come, Come on. on. Come on, Come on. Grandpa. Jeez, what the hell are you playing <laughs> Fortnite on your computer? Uh, in fact, secession is not possible in the United States. We kind of covered this when we talked about the state of Jefferson, Southern mm -hmm. Oregon and Northern California, thinking they could make a go of it. Since the 1860s, it's been the official position of the United States government, perhaps not surprisingly, that you cannot secede from it. We should, right. We shouldn't be surprised by this. No, you're not allowed to secede from the United States. As, you know, as I think Benjamin Franklin might have said, a, a rebellion is only legal in the first person, our rebellion, in the third person, their rebellion. It's never illegal. It's never legal. But this, yeah, never legal. This was uh, codified by the Supreme Court in the 1869, the case of Texas v. White, which kind of was a bizarre civil war, a sm kind of a small ticky-tacky little civil war footnote that turned into a big legal question. Uh, the state of Texas, going into the civil war, owned all these U.S. bonds mm -hmm. and decided it would try to sell them to fund the war effort. <laughs> so they're selling <laughs> war bonds in their... Uh, you know, in their enemy, <laughs> two brokerages in the enemy, you know, they're, they're seeing which New York houses will buy their bonds. And of, uh, of course, Washington frantically tries to pass laws, making it difficult or impossible to buy bonds from a Confederate state that wants to profit by it. <laughs> but some of these sales did happen and then the bonds were transferred again. So now there's this whole chain of origin. It's like selling a stolen bike on sure, it's Craigslist. Like the, it's like the plot of Die Hard. <laughs> How, and now I got to ask, in what way do you think this is like the plot of Die Hard? <laughs> do, you just, do you just assume everything's like the plot no, of Die Hard? It's, it's a Christmas movie is why. I just feel like this was... What a way to find out you've never actually seen Die Hard. And you think it's about... <laughs> Isn't it about the rebellion of the era. southern states? It's not about Civil War era savings plans. Those guys are diehards. So the Civil War... So the Civil War. So the Supreme Court was asked to decide in the late 1860s what to do with this trail of bonds that came by southern states selling... U.S. bonds of the oppressor. <laughs> and so the Supreme Court had to decide, had these states ever seceded? If these states actually had seceded, then these are like bonds owned by a foreign power right. or citizens of a foreign power. So then you treat the sale of those by a U.S. citizen one way or, or U.S. Uh, corporation one way. If the states, on the other hand, had never seceded, then the law... This is just an intra-America yeah. transaction. So they decided that the secession had, in fact, never happened. Uh -huh. Retroactively, no states had ever seceded, or at least, the, you know. Because as, it as, is impossible. As you would expect, the United States does not agree with the right of any of these 11 states to secede from the because how could you do it? Right. You just can't do it. So we now know that retroactively, it's impossible to secede from the U.S. Right, which, uh, I mean, every time I go out into Puget Sound and find some little, some little rock that has four trees on it, and try to plant a flag and declare Roderick Stan. You're acting like this happens frequently. <laughs> it's been, Every time. Huh? I don't know, it's four times frequently. <laughs> uh, the, the Coast Guard always shows up and tells me that I have to disarm. Mr. Roderick, we've <laughs> talked about this. It's, just, <laughs> it's the same lady with a megaphone. Please, that's even the same flag. <laughs> <laughs> she's, in a, she's in a little inflatable Coast Guard like lifeboat. It's even the same island. You got lost <laughs> and you thought it was a different island. I was like, get out of my territorial waters, <laughs> Uncle Sam. There has certainly never been any uh, controversy over the right of a U.S. municipality to secede from the Union. But huh. the legal case for state secession, of course, goes back to the fact that states have a special sovereign status enshrined in the Constitution where they do get to do a lot of their own Right. States are states, yes. after all. We were, you know, we were founded as a United States with the idea in the founders' minds, in many, at least in many cases, that the states were going to be kind of the overriding geopolitical entity, right. but that Vermont and Georgia and all the rest would need some kind of alliance to stand, you know, to be independent in a time of powerful European powers. Like a rebel alliance. 
and kind of like a rebel alliance. You got the yeah. the fish faced guys, uh-huh. and you got the human ones, and then you got the the Lando's co pilot guys that are like blah, 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 blah. right, and the the squid guy that's like it's a trap. That's the first guy I said. I guess I said fish faced. Yeah, but yes, it's a it's a trap. It's a trap. All those guys they can't fight the Empire on their own. The Empire's too big. They need an they need an alliance. Yeah, you know I I've had a lot of trouble recently because uh, I showed my daughter the Star Trek movie. No, Star Trek movies. Star War. I I showed them. I showed her the Star War movies. I showed my daughter a Star War and uh, started with the first Star War and I went through the Empire Strikes Back and the and the Jedi one and then she became aware at school that there were other Star War movies. How did she hear this? Well, she was very, the other children. Did you not sign? Did you sign the permission <laughs> form for Star Wars Ed? Other children because uh, they are they're whispering about it. You know, it's like when we were kids, it was like. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. But now it's like, have you heard about the other Star Wars? Right. It used to be. It used to be like, Daddy, what's an ovary? And now it's, Daddy, what's a prequel? So she was asking me just a couple of days ago, what's like, a, what's a midichlorian, Daddy? Yeah. Who is who is uh, Jar Jar Binks? And I was like, we don't talk about Jar Jar Binks in this house. Uh, I've never seen the prequels, so I pretend they don't exist. Uh, but I can't keep up that charade with her because she knows they exist. I can't tell her they don't. Is it important to you that she, like you, believe they not exist? No, because I've seen other parents of our generation try to convince their kids that the who is better than the stones and their kids are like six years old and don't know or care. And the, you know, the dad is just really like, listen, I'm not raising a child that believes the stones <laughs> are better. You know, like the whole Generation X problem of thinking that you are your taste. Sub pop sells onesies. <laughs> I know. Think about that for a second. You, re- <laughs> you really want your four month old kid in a sub pop onesie. So I don't want to be that dad that's like, listen, uh, are you making up a, a m- <laughs> millennial name for your kid? Listen, Blareth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, you know, Boba Fett is like, Boba Fett is one kind of bounty hunter. I refuse to accept that his father was some kind of other bounty hunter and that I don't, I don't want Boba Fett backstory that much. I don't want to be that dad. I just want to be like accepting of all things. Just teach the controversy. Some people think the prequels exist. Some people think they don't. It's but like uh, it's like uh, Sasquatch or God. She's going to want to watch them and I'm going to have to be there because I don't want her going through the world knowing more about Star Wars than I do. I don't want her to be like, oh, you know, you don't know about the, the initial Congress of of uh, Yoda's. And I'm like, I didn't. I don't know about the Congress You're of such Yoda's. a good dad. You're going to be hitting pause all the time to be like, now, honey, do you have any questions at this point? <laughs> We just found out that Boba Fett's like a little New Zealand kid, like hiding under a counter. Yeah. Do you have any questions about that? Boba okay. Fett never we'll says a single word in the three movies that I know. Does he say words in the early ones? No, he does say words. He he speaks briefly in Empire, but it's what more, does he say? Oh, he does. He goes like, uh, rah, rah, rah. "I'll give you Solo." Or, I don't know what that's he says. Right. No, that's right. Uh, he does. You're right. But he doesn't say much for sure. He certainly has not been dubbed into having a Kiwi accent, which is true in the, in the, you know, the rejiggered versions of the original. Trilogy. Is that right? They, yeah, they, they gave him a Kiwi accent because now it's canon that he's uh, the this, so uh, the son of this cloned I'm guy so, from. I'm so I don't even mad. want to tell you. Sorry. Okay, all right. Well, well, let's st- stop talking about that. What if we talk a little less about that and a little more about the census-designated hamlet of Townline, New York? Okay, I agree with that. <laughs> Uh, this was all in aid of pointing out that cities do not have this special constitutional protection. Right. And therefore cannot decide which country they are in. Right. And we're seeing some of this kind of, you know, and this is an open question now that uh, cities increasingly contain more and more of the U.S. population. And the policy of a single city government can really sway the lives of 10 million people. Right. Uh, which gives them a lot of power to say, no, actually, we do not want this federal agency doing such and such in our thing or, or, we're, or we're not going to interface with them or this is the whole business of sanctuary cities where uh, numerous American cities decided that they were going to defy the federal government in terms of immigration policy and welcome uh, immigrants into their cities where the feds were trying to put restrictions on them. Yeah. And it's very difficult to point to the constitutional argument for cities being able to override a federal policy. So I guess what you're seeing more is a lot of foot dragging 
and refusing to share memos. <laughs> the Constitution's often very silent on uh, paperwork uh, flowcharts and stuff like that. But one of the more interesting cases of a city trying to exercise its sovereignty uh, is secession-related. It's the tiny town of Townline, New York, which is in, if you want to visualize this, it's in Erie County, New York, so very far upstate, near, near, just near Buffalo, east of Buffalo, less than 100 miles from the Canadian border. But far enough from the Canadian border that uh, they can't secede to Canada. Right. And oddly, this is not a case of them trying to secede to Canada, which would maybe make sense. Sure, if, you could say. I mean, there's... If, if you're in Townline, New York, you want to pick what country do you think would be most likely for you to secede to? It would probably be Canada, Canada, which is a day, you know, which is an hour's car ride away. There are there are definitely neighborhoods in Seattle that would join Canada if they could. Absolutely, that's the, and that seems more likely than those neighborhoods or Townline, New York, just picking, say, Mozambique. For sure, Uzbekistan, the Ukraine. No, Ukraine. I just want you to be able to say <laughs> no, Ukraine. But in this case, in the in 1861, and this is a story we only know because of you know, oral tradition of people who were there, but it was a pretty big, it was the big news in Townline, New York in 1861, don't get me wrong. They decided that they would secede the Union, the better to join the Confederate States of America. What? Townline wanted to be a Confederate town? Yeah, a Confederate town. Because there, there was no slavery in Townline, New York. What was their beef? When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout so the problem with this whole story is that to this day we do not know what their beef was um what Nobody wrote it down? <laughs> Nobody was keeping a diary? Everybody knew they were angry. Like, we have tradition of what the exact vote to leave was, but not, not, not what the basis for it was. Huh. So there's been some kind of revisionist speculation that maybe, you know, because it's so near the Canadian border, maybe what we're seeing as a result of the Underground Railroad coming through and uh, making trouble, and so suddenly you've got a lot of ant you know antipathy to runaway slaves. Interesting. Which then leads to secession. But uh, was I, it I actually... don't think there's actually any evidence for that, however. The town, like Erie County in general, had voted for Abraham Lincoln huh. uh, in 1860. All right, well, that seems to cast another, this is just one year later. Yes. But the, it was an area of the country that was kind of divided between, Townline was mostly German immigrant settlers who right. would have been anti-slavery. But aside from the question of slavery, you know, obviously the root cause of the civil war, there were a lot of other considerations when you consider plunging your nation into civil war. And a lot of the residents of Erie County, in particular of Townline, were democratic copperheads. Uh-huh which means that their heads were made entirely of copper. Yes, right? No. They were snakes. <laughs> they, were, they were scary <laughs> snakes. They were snakes yes. uh, in a way. These were people who were loyal to the Union, but believed the Civil War could be avoided by appeasing the South. They were appeasers. Appeasers. Yes. They, they wanted a speedy peace with the Confederacy. Speedy Peace. He was one of the great Hanna-Barbera cartoon characters. I thought Sp Speedy Peace was a <laughs> member of... Uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. <laughs> uh, and so, and this was a very appealing idea, right? Like, let's avoid this awful, you know, unprecedented war, which is clearly going to rock the nation. Well, the 50 years prior to the Civil War was a, was a 50-year period where appeasement was being practiced in almost every decision, right? The, the conflict between the North and the South existed in the 
the founding fabric of the United and States. And you're talking about appeasement relative to slavery in particular. Yeah. yeah. That, that, like, that, what do we do to keep these guys from bailing? Right. We kept, we kept, I mean, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. I mean, there were so many instances where the threat of secession was appeased by the North with some kind of deal with the devil. So no, I think the Copperheads, I think the time for appeasement had passed, but I'm not some, I'm not some Chamberlain. You're not some wishy-washy <laughs> uh, town line Copperhead. Uh, and so it was an open question, you know, these kind of questions did divide Northern communities as well. Sure. Really the only surviving kind of oral account of what happened, there was one kind of fiery Copperhead leader who was, you know, angry about Lincoln's inauguration in March of 1861 and wanted to do something big and showy to show how much he opposed the coming war. And then there was Thurston Carpenter, uh, you know, a, an equally angry Republican sitting in his wheelchair in front of the general store. And these two would just, you know, yell at each other every day. Uh, George Bruce and Thurston Carpenter, uh, the local Copperhead and abolitionist respectively. And, you know, feelings would run high, you know, people in town would have to declare their loyalty to one side or the other. And as a result, when war was declared, um, sure, the town was able to send its quota of men to the Army of the Potomac. Um, as you'd expect, there were a bunch of men who headed south to try to slip past enemy lines and join the Army of Northern Virginia yeah, as well. I, yeah, I would expect that. I mean, my sense of this is that it's a small enough town. Because looking at a map, Town Line, New York is, why is it called Town Line? Because it looks like it's on the outskirts of Buffalo, just exactly where you might draw the I, town I line. I think it is on the city line. Of, <laughs> or maybe because it's between two actual incorporated suburbs, Alden and Lancaster, it's not a real place. It's, no. it's just a, it's a settlement. It's a village. Town line. It's just a very strange name for a place. It should be line town. Line town. I'm not going to take that line town. But, uh, oh, come on. You didn't even smile at your own dumb reference. It wasn't funny. <laughs> I, uh, I don't smile at things that aren't funny. What are you <laughs> You just, I just say them. You just say them because you're, you're constitutionally incapable of not. Your mouth is just working independent of your brain. It's a, it's a weird kind of compulsion. It's like telling somebody to stop like, uh, you know. It's uh, a tick. Yeah, it's a tick. But I feel like, uh, I feel like the, it could be explained just by, as you were suggesting, one cantankerous resident who's rattling his um, jingle stick his at everybody. metaphorical saber. But there actually were young men from the town that evaded blockades and made their way to the South in order to defend, because they were anti-Lincoln, basically. It's like all the Democratic towns in the Midwest that hated Obama so much that they sided with the racists. It's like the liberal thing where you say you're going to move to Canada if such and such wins. <laughs> so these guys actually moved to Canada, except upside down. All right. They went away from Canada and headed South. Uh, you know, and who knows if these accounts are all true. Like the oldest surviving uh, retelling of this story I can find is from the Buffalo Daily Courier in like the 30s. Although, you know, this is the paper that did report in 1861. They had received a note from Townline, which they then published, saying that uh, Townline has seceshed. <laughs> they, they created the millennial thing of saying like... Seceshed? Of saying like associ instead of association <laughs> or whatever. She has organized a home government and appointed ministers to foreign countries. Joseph Meyer of Buffalo being named as minister to China. So they got so far as to forming a government in exile. There are only 1,200 people in the town, so every single person would have some, you know, there'd be Secretary of State, Secretary of War. Maybe that's the appeal. It's not clear that they joined the Confederacy if they're appointing their own ministers. Right. Surely they consider themselves close allies of the Confederacy. But we're jumping ahead a bit. Yeah, there's a, there's a stormy meeting at the, at the local schoolhouse. Late in 1861, 125 adult men from the community argue on either Bruce or, Bruce or Carpenter's side and finally vote fairly overwhelmingly, 85 to 40, to cheer on Jefferson Davis, hip hip hurrah Jefferson Davis, and to secede from the Union. 85 to 40. So there are 120 voting people in the town. <laughs> yes. This is clearly, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is very worried about losing this huge part of his constituency. <laughs> Uh, did this make the newspapers at the time? It only did because they sent their little nanny nanny boo boo to the Buffalo Daily Courier to make sure it was noticed. And and really, it it would not have been otherwise. And it in fact was not. Right. Nobody really took any notice of this fact that um, 
that Townline did not consider itself part of the union anymore. And I guess there was some talk in the area about, you know, these such and so and so copperheads in the town next door. What do they think they're doing? Right. They, they should be they should be arrested for sedition. They're not contributing enough men to the war effort. But the town basically, you know, towards the end of the war, kept its head down and realized this was controversial. Oh, I thought you were going to say that the residents of Townline all chipped in and and built a battleship. <laughs> <laughs> they got they're right by Lake Erie. Yeah. They're in there like like disrupting Erie Canal traffic. Disruption. In August of 1864, this actually did what you're saying essentially happened in a very small way. There was a rumor uh spreading mostly out of paranoia in the north that the Confederates might amass in Canada and come down from the north as well. Kind of a mm-hmm. classic, a get them on their left flank kind of thing. <laughs> it's a, it's, that's the plot of Red Dawn. <laughs> it basically <laughs> is. What if the Civil War but Red Dawn? <laughs> and the War Department was worried enough about these rumors that they started to reinforce forts along the Canadian border, like Fort Niagara. But we don't think of, of Canada being super sympathetic to the Confederate cause. No. I think what it's the old classic thinking of America or not America. Right. I trust America, but I'm not, there's this whole not America area <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little nervous about. And at that point, the- Oh, the, the res- town liners are a little close. Yeah, the resentment toward town line, who actually does seem like maybe an espionage threat in this new situation, is now at risk of local Wolverines <laughs> yelling Wolverines at them. So uh, apparently many of them did start to cross the border into Canada, not because there was actually a Confederate army amassed there, but just to get out of Dodge. Is that right? They decamped to Canada in order to maintain their, their strange... <laughs> their deep loyalty <laughs> to the South and Jeff Davis. Woo-hoo! What I'm wondering about, though, is like an appeasement project. Once the war has started, it's a little bit like their <laughs> ship has sailed. It's a little bit late. So what's the Copperhead position then? It's not even appeasement, right? Then it's like... Uh, we uh, believe the other side will win and want to be in on the ground floor of this. Right. Like when they come sweeping north, we want to be like, over here, <laughs> over here. We got, We're with you all the way. We've got salt pork and beans. <laughs> the war ended. Spoilers. The North won. This did not come true for the town of... T- their, their gamble, their parlay did not work out. No. Uh, and so and now they were pariahs at the local, uh, at the state fair. But luckily it's most of, mostly forgotten. I mean, you get 10 miles away, maybe in Alden and Lancaster, people are like, well, these copperhead dingbats. Oh, they already felt that way. But yeah, everybody hates the town next door anyway, right? Yeah. Those are where the dumb folks live across the river in don't, town yeah, line. Don't go over there. It's their Shelbyville basically. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you get more than, if you get, by the time you get into the Buffalo suburbs, nobody cares what the yo-yos in town line were thinking in 1861. Sure. Uh, but town line's got to feel a little chagrined. They probably feel, I bet they, I bet it's a lot of revisionist history. Like they're like the town in a, in a preachy Henry Fonda movie that actually lynched the guy or something. <laughs> right. And now nobody wants to talk about it anymore. Right. Sure. They all duck their heads down and go hide under their corn cribs. And 80 years pass in their, with their heads in their corn cribs. Probably they still sit around the table and go, we were on the right side. Well, I mean, if the current residents of the U.S. South are anything to judge by, there probably were some people up there kind of bemoaning the lost cause. Right. And Because you don't want to think, we did this crazy thing that of a thousand towns nobody else tried, and it was uniquely dumb and wrongheaded. It's really interesting when you see these big sort of macro political disputes, how many I mean, we're we're used to dividing into two camps, for or against, but there are a thousand different little granular reasons that you could have for disagreeing with the conventional wisdom of your neighbors or your, or your, uh, what you would think of as your class or your place, right? And you know, there's always, there's always the libertarian teenager that thinks that everything should just, everybody should be given full autonomy over themselves and their community and you see the government should give people nothing except a free slayer record when they turn (laughs) 15. But you see in the, you know, a lot of the anti-vax people are liberal by every other description. They, but they somehow miss an important piece of like the collective interest of being free from disease. And importantly, once you've bought in, you know, once you believed the, the scary Facebook post or misguided journal article, that's now your tribe. Right. In for a penny, in for a pound. 
And so the residents of Town Line could have been anti-slavery, could have been liberally inclined in every way, except have bought into an argument that it really was about states' rights or it really was about you know, some kind of community of man argument. Sometimes it's even dumber where people will embrace the position just out of spite, out yeah. of dislike for people who don't embrace the position. So it could almost be like, what if their Shelbyville, Alden or Lancaster or whatever it was, was a little too overbearingly patriotic. Then That's it becomes right. like, can you believe these yo-yos running the draft board over in Lancaster? They're telling us this. I don't even, I don't even think we should have a war effort. And everyone's like, what? And then the town is like, wait, yeah, yeah. When I look back at the pig war here in Puget Sound, I think we should have bombed the bombed them back to the Stone Age. <laughs> the the funny thing about the kind of the, the slipping away down the memory hole out of embarrassment is that importantly, Townline never remembered to rejoin the Union. Really? After telling the Buffalo Papers about about having seceshed, they uh. they forgot to rejoin the Union in 1865. I'm, I'm sure they thought there was no need for it. But then this was pretty much an academic question until so they seceshed, but. But but never but nobody unseshed. nobody on the other side ever accepted their secession <laughs> right right so it's there's not, no there's no account of the Chinese emperor ever welcoming Joseph Meyer into the into their court uh, <laughs> Jefferson Davis never sent uh, emissaries plenipotentiary up to Buffalo New York to uh, plan war strategy uh, nobody cared either way because it wasn't worth caring about but in the 1940s there was a sudden burst of American patriotism and unity right. surrounding the, uh, the beginning of World War II. Right. And it was thought more than ever that America's various region, regionalist battles should end in the face of the German and Japanese threat. Oh, I see. So this was, this was throughout the country, and there was, a, there was an attempt at rapprochement between the North and South? Did you say Ross Perot? Ross Perot shaman? Shaman. <laughs> Ross Perot is a shaman? Shaman! Ross Perot is my shaman. I call him Ross Perot shaman. Uh, yeah, it happened in more than one case. Uh, th this would become a new cycle where, you know, Vicksburg, Mississippi, side of a famous uh, Confederate holdout, would announce, we are now, you know, we never put this on the books, but we are now loyal to the Union. Us, the famous Confederate Gibraltar, you know, announced that uh, we are part of the United States of America and eager to join the war effort in Europe. Uh, wow. Dade County, Georgia, this county in the northwestern, the very northwestern corner of Georgia, uh, had seceded in 1860, not from the Confederacy, but from Georgia. From Georgia. Yeah, some angry guy, an angry state representative, Bob Tatum, Uncle Bob Tatum. So did Bob Tatum mean to stay with the Union? Uh, he wanted to form the independent state of Dade. Oh, sure. He, uh, he got fed up with how his constituents' concerns were being treated on the floor of the Georgia State Legislature. And when stuff, the vote didn't go his way, he got in his buggy, drove home, and uh, called for a vote at the county courthouse. And Dade County seceded from the U.S. And at the time, there was no road actually connecting Dade County to the rest of Georgia. Oh, he had to go up through Tennessee? Yeah, it's, it's hilly country. He had to go through Tennessee or, I guess, Alabama to even get to Dade County. Oh. So it, it made kind of sense that Dade should be its own state up there in the hills. But in 1945, again, the county, well aware of its kind of heritage of being this flaky microstate, um, had a local judge who led a patriotic campaign and called in the newsreel camera so that everyone would notice... Dade County was back. ...that the last citadel of the Confederacy was now ready to rejoin the Union. The funny thing is, if you look at the Georgia State Quarter today, uh -huh. the one that came out in 2012, it's got, a, it's got a map of Georgia that is missing Dade County. The no. Nor the northwest corner of Georgia is kind of bit off as if by Cookie Monster. Is that intentional? I don't know if it's intentional or not, but Dade County, Georgia has been left off of Georgia, the map of Georgia, by no less an authority than the U.S. Mint. Wow. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com start. But anyway, so Dade County, Georgia and Vicksburg, Mississippi make big national, a big national news splash by rejoining the Union oh, in, in the 40s. So Town Line is up there with a little bit of Vicksburg envy. They're up there with their uh, Johnny Cakes dangling in the wind. Right. Uh, I could not think of a better... What's a better... What's a better phallic symbol of the Confederacy? Jacks. They've, <laughs> they've got their muskets uh, dangling out in the wind. And uh, local papers start to notice that, hey, that one flaky town never actually... Rejoined. Did local papers, or was there just some nut up there that kept writing letters in saying we never rejoined until until the local papers were like, huh, what? Oh, we'll send a we'll send a cub reporter out there. It became a thing. Like uh, President Truman in 1945 welcomed Dade County with a telegram oh, nice. back into the country. Wasn't that fun? What a nice thing for the president to do. Let me say though, a little late in the war. <laughs> Yeah, why is all this happening in 45? Yeah, what was Dade County doing in 43, Apparently, 44? Vicksburg, Dade County, and Town Line all kind of holding out to see how the Nazis do. <laughs> like, we Famously, we don't know. We want to make sure we know which side our bread is butter on. That's what we do in a big war. We're going to wait and see how well, the Battle of the Bulge goes. No, they were siding with the Japanese. You could tell. <laughs> Once it was pretty clear which way World War II was going to end, they, they hurriedly... <laughs> Put away their stars and bars with the the rising Japanese sun on them. It's like a, it's like Russia declaring war against Japan in June of forty five or whatever. They Apparently, were. Townline had voted at some point, it, even in all this uh, this flurry of little microstates rejoining the union. Uh, Townline had voted twenty nine to one, thirty whole voters in this election, <laughs> to remain part of the Confederacy at some point. What I assume maybe this was before the war, and it was really more just our weird town heritage, our there, uh, peculiar institution. It seems like it's thirty people at a at like an Elks Hall, <laughs> right? Right, like how. Either the population really declined or only a few people are being invited to this, this is meeting. This how politics works in America. Everybody else has jobs. It's and true. 30 weirdos are showing up at city council meetings oh, to yell. true. Uh, so in the face of this, uh, you know, resilient Confederate holdout, President Truman actually writes a letter saying, there are a few controversies that are not susceptible to a peacetime resolution if examined in an atmosphere of tranquility and calm rather than strife and turmoil. Truman has already devoted more words to this than you would expect <laughs> the president. Maybe back then there was more like turkey saving and Easter egg rolling, <laughs> yeah, you sure. know? <laughs> I hereby address this resolution. And uh, so apparently he, his point is that, you know, now that the war is behind us, we can focus on important things moving forward for America. Right, unity. Unity. Uh, I would suggest the possibility of roast veal as a vehicle of peace. This is a very oddly specific thing, President Truman. Well, especially since the futurelings are all recoiling in horror now. Well, because many presentlings. <laughs> I mean, he might as well say, bring some foie gras and some of the most overfished fish. <laughs> what we do in moments like this is eat cats. So everyone bring a cat. I think he has a biblical precedent in mind. The letter oh. continues, why don't you run down the fattest calf in Erie County? Oh, the fattest calf. Barbecue it and serve it with fixins. Mm-hmm. He's, what a folksy he, guy. Well, he is a Midwesterner. In the old blacksmith shop where the ruckus started, his aides have apparently correctly informed him that the schoolhouse where the vote was taken to secede from the Union in, 60, in 1861 is now a blacksmith shop. And it's where the town could meet again to change their mind. Well, now that also seems like a reversion like I could see in an American, in the history of an American small town, that a blacksmith shop would become the site of a school. But who the heck is using a blacksmithery in 1946? You know what we decided? These kids were just learning too much geography and not enough uh, horseshoe making. There's a horseshoe gap. <laughs> 
who can tell the, the dissidents might decide to resume citizenship? Maybe this whole thing is some, it seems like there's been some PR work behind the scenes. I get it. Right? Yep. To lay the groundwork for Truman to send this very specific invitation to have a barbecue at the blacksmith shop. Somebody in the, you know, I've watched enough episodes of the West Wing there to have, know. There have been back channels. Yeah. There's somebody at the White House who's decided this is their hilarious project for the week. And, Poor uh, Donna got tasked with getting <laughs> Townline New York to have a barbecue and undo their vote. Uh, so the, the Townliners uh, who have been feuding over, apparently this is a live issue in the town, whether we revoke kind of our, our weird old-timey thing of loving slavery. I mean, once you, go, once you join the union, you can't go back, right? You can't, you can't rejoin the Confederacy. And so they do draw up a resolution. For four score and four years, uh, see what they did there? That's nice. We, the people of Townline, have enjoyed the blessings of simple life, which can only come to those who live without fear and envy of their fellow men. That's kind of a diss. Irrelevant to the proceedings at hand. Well, apparently, every other town in the Union has been living out of fear and envy. Their only reason yeah. for not joining the Confederacy. They, they fear and envy. <laughs> those famous reasons to oppose the, the Confederacy. Surrounded by suburbs of Buffalo. We, we have... We have been fraternally bound with a secret that has withstood the faster tempo and blandishments of large cities. Okay. Again, we, the real small town America, right. we don't do these faddish things like join the union. If I were in Truman's office, I would, I would start to rescind the invitation after a couple of sentences like that. They are making it sound like it's kind of, like you said, a, an Elks Club kind of thing yeah. where a group of local town fathers enjoy their little insider status as the keepers of this weird flame. Now we have been divested of that secret, like now that the media has blown this wide open. Right. We stand alone against a great nation, which in a world of strife is looking toward us to make it a solid and united front. They've really been forced into it. <laughs> well, and also, well, I'm not sure what, a, what role they're, uh, how large a role they're really playing. They feel like the they separate. are the keystone, the linchpin <laughs> of the war effort. Whoever wrote this was hilarious. <laughs> we have read President Truman's letter and will follow his advice. But it is with extreme regret the proceedings will be started which may abandon the principles of our fathers. Wow, they're really salting the earth here. After the blessings of the barbecued calf descends on us. So the barbecue's going to the barbecue's a go. It's happening. We shall deliberate. So we can't promise which way the vote goes. So the hunt is on for the fattest calf in Erie County. So the the old blacksmith shop on October 27th, 1945 hosts a barbecue. And if I were a resident of Erie County, and owned a fat ass calf. I think I would I would hide that calf under a bushel, because who wants who you know who wants to actually give to, a town line the fat calf? Let them find their own calf. I think a lot of this is kayfabe, uh, because uh, a movie premiere is also scheduled in the town. Uh, big Hollywood stars are going to come. And they're going to watch Colonel Effingham's Raid, which is a based on the hit novel. It's a new Fox, 20th Century Fox movie about a guy who comes home from the war only to find a real kind of corrupt shenanigans going on in his peaceful southern town about Confederate war monuments. Mm -hmm. So it's vaguely thematically related to town line struggle. Mm -hmm. So a big movie studio is going to take advantage of this Tempest in a Teapot to have a big fun premiere. And in fact, uh, Cesar Romero. Oh, <laughs> hey, no less than. Is invited out to town line to uh, attend the barbecue and be kind of the, uh, the UN observer who, who uh, monitors the election. <laughs> Cesar Romero, not yet the Joker on Batman. Right. This is who you'd pick. He was a reputable artist. But he's, he's kind of, a, he's a Latin Lothario. He's still, yes. you know, he's still deeply in the closet. Uh, you know, to fr friends know that he's not much of a womanizer, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but on screen, he's kind of a Latin lover a debonair figure, maybe the untrustworthy one who's tempting away, you know, Myrna Loy from the, from the lead actor. So, uh, so everybody in town is very, it's clearly, this is going to be a big, bigger doings transpiring in, in town line than they usually see. Right. Something. And then, you know, of course, uh, like Rowdy Roddy Piper is going to be there <laughs> and, uh, there's your kayfabe. <laughs> the original Ronald McDonald. So the town all comes to the blacksmith shop, uh, uh, to see whether their 85 years of rebellion will end. And uh, at 3.21 p.m., Cesar Romero announces... Cesar Romero announces... <laughs> what? what is happening? <laughs> he rings the ceremonial bell. <laughs> he announces that by a vote of 90 to 23, Townline has agreed to accede to President Truman's plea and rejoin these United States of America. So they, they managed to get a, uh, quite a few people out to the barbecue. Yeah, it turns out the guy who wrote the... Uh, 
the very kind of angry note about the blandishments does not represent the mood of Townline, at least after they've been plied with beer and barbecued veal. Now, how many of the 23 do you think were... Uh, we're like U.S. senators who know that they're going to lose, but they give a symbolic vote in order to appease. You mean how many of the ninety? No, no. How many of the twenty-three that voted to to, to stay to, secessed? To stay secessed were like legit, <laughs> like still like practicing like, some Confederate. They're like they're. Do the, you think they're trolling? This uh, this will clearly won't matter. So. Some of them, some of them wanted to go down in history. You know, this, on their deathbed, their grandchildren would crowd around their bed and go, "I never signed." <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you might be right. Maybe it is the oldsters. 23 people said no. The thing about the 20s through the 40s is it's a time of real Confederate nostalgia, even in the North. Those were the heyday of the Ku Klux Klan in the United States. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, and this is not just for cultural reasons. It's certainly for reasons of racism and xenophobia. But also just kind of a general, uh, an idea that had been dulled with time, that there was something genteel and beautiful about the South. Right, it's a lost cause. In beautiful, and the beautiful technicolor costumes and everything have gone with the wind. You know, the it's really dulled a lot of what was, what would have been offensive about the Confederacy to Alden and nearby Alden and Lancaster in 1861 when town lines being flaky about it. But they lower the stars and bars from the flagpole beside the old blacksmith shop. Oh, they'd been flying the Confederate flag, or did they just unclear. put it up like two days before? Yeah, unclear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if this really is some little known town secret that a lot of the oldsters laugh about after a, you know, over a cognac, is there really a stars and bars flying over the blacksmith shop? I guess not. Yeah. And then everybody goes into the, goes into the blacksmith shop to, to be the first to see Colonel Effingham's raid starring no less than Charles Coburn, the fat, funny guy in, uh, I think, The Lady Eve. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's congratulatory telegrams from all over. Oh, that's great. I bet the Chinese were re relieved <laughs> yeah. that they didn't have to open an embassy. The, the Chinese finally can <laughs> expel the Townline ambassador. Governor Dewey of New York uh, welcomes them back to the state. Oh, that's nice. Uh, a couple of, uh, I think there are some telegrams from the South that seem kind of, uh, you know, very today problematically nostalgic yeah. for the lost cause. As one reconstructed rebel to another, sir, I hereby recognize your right. That kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. And after 85 years, the last outpost of the Confederacy uh, is no more. The funny thing is, though, until 2011, the 150th anniversary of the secession, the town continued to embrace this branding, possibly for marketing reasons. Really? Yeah, the, the local firefighters were called the, the last of the rebels, and they all had the Confederate, they all had the stars and bars as their patch. So if you called the, if you're a, a, like the black family in town line, you call the fire department, the firemen that come are going to have the Confederate flag on their uniforms, whether you want it or not. Huh. I'm just joking. There's probably no black family in town line. I, I don't know. <laughs> And, uh, and the town logo was a horseshoe that said the last confederacy on it. Well, they're not a confederacy all by themselves. I agree. This is confusing. Yeah. They could be the last of the vestige there of the you confederacy. Go. You can't be the last confederacy. Somebody needs to tell them what the, they could be the last confederates maybe. I guess they could be a confederacy of, of people. One? Confederacy of Dunces? A Confederacy of... <laughs> <laughs> but in 2011, NPR reported that the town had a big cosplay ball where everybody dressed in hoop skirts and Scarlett O'Hara fans. Yeah. And it kind of seems like a weird Southern nostalgia. But that very same year, they changed their town seal and got rid of... I, I think it was a time when you could no longer really put the Confederate flag on stuff, much less in upstate New York. 2001? 2011. Oh, 2011. This wow. Eight, this is just eight years ago <laughs> in our time. Well, there's there's still people putting Confederate flags on things, so they were early adopters. Yeah, in that maybe sense. they should have just... Once again, they should have waited to see which way the wind was blowing. <laughs> hey, guys, guess what? Like, white nationalism's coming back. Maybe we have something here. Well, you know, we have that same problem... Uh, or a, uh, not not the same problem, but a similar one here in Seattle. The the Fremont neighborhood, uh, which was actually annexed to Seattle in the 1800s, has maintained a sort of separatist culture uh, for decades. They declared themselves a nuclear free zone during the 1970s. And again, not wanting to decide prematurely which side their bread is buttered on, they put up a big statue of Lenin. They have Lenin in there. front of the in front of the Italian hoagie uh, grinder place, just in case. 
communism, Marxism comes back. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and in fact, for a long time, there was a sign in Fremont that said you should set your watch back five minutes when you enter Fremont because Fremont is five minutes behind the rest of Seattle. Very confusing. This was all true for a long time. And then gentrification did the job of President Truman, where gra <laughs> gradually... <laughs> gentrification said, please have a barbecue, but, uh, you know, make sure it's pho and... Uh, at a, and tapas at a wine bar. Yeah, little by little, anyone that was interesting in Fremont and, and interesting enough to preserve these weird separatist inclinations just got priced out, and everybody there now just works for Google Play. Fremont, the last confederacy. And that concludes Town Line, New York. Entry 1323.2C0617. Certificate number 42052 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, you can go on Facebook and secede from every single administrative area you want. You could declare your Facebook page the independent nation of idiocracy, and nobody can do a damn thing about if it. If you're an angry 17-year-old, you can secede your bedroom from the house. <laughs> You sure can. You can. Paint your, paint your walls black. Your parents can't stop you. Just post your manifesto. Just just nail your 92 theses to the door and tell people that it's a keep out area. Call it, uh, call it, uh, Brendanistan. I keep out of my, <laughs> Blareth? I keep out of my son's bedroom precisely because I don't want to know what's in there. No, you, know? you don't want to smell those socks. Don't ask, don't tell uh, my Twitter and Instagram feeds at John Roderick are 100% uh, sovereign territory. And Ken's... That's why I don't comment. You'll, you'll take it as an invasion. I will. Ken is at Ken Jennings on Twitter, uh, but he, he is like a free state. He's like, a, he's, he's like Jerusalem there. Yeah, it's, it's... Come and go as you please. That's everybody's territory. I, I, I will not respond to you no matter what race, creed, color you are. You can go to at Omnibus Project, which is basically like a numbers station in Finland. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can mail things to us at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155, including all your old commemorative ashtrays. If your town ever seceded from any union of any kind, send us the matchbooks that were printed. Uh, and you can come to Futurelings on Facebook where people will debate this episode and decide, then pick some funny thing about it that they like. Probably yell at me for something. They will find something wanting, but will really feel a deep affection for something that we don't even remember saying. Right. That's it from me. That's a, that's a heck of a segue there, John. <laughs> and so anyway, I'm seceding from this show. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive before you are all living in your own little microstates, not by choice, but because of the will of the space aliens that that's conquered right. you. That's right. Conquering aliens. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the mothership comes soon... This recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But we hope that Providence will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.